You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecuted church to author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javid. Today I'm joined by Seth Boschel from Exponent Group. Our topic today focuses on both the unique advantages and challenges of diaspora in urban churches. Seth has been planting churches among diaspora populations in New York City since 2014 and also serves as director of equipping for his organization. Through the role, Seth works to train urban churches and nonprofits in evangelism and disciple-making skills. Seth has graciously agreed to do two episodes with us. Yay, super excited. So tune in next week as well as for a discussion about Muslim outreach and its own unique challenges. Thank you for joining us, Seth. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So yeah, before we start, thank you, first of all, for agreeing to recording two episodes. But uh, before we get started. Please tell us uh, very briefly about your family. I believe family is so important because uh, it makes us, uh, um, it connects us and the audience can uh, hear you um, when uh, I think they will connect with you when you talk about your family and your personal life a little bit. So share a little bit briefly about your family. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm actually fourth generation professional ministry in my family. Uh, What I mean by that is my my father was a preacher, my grandfather was a preacher, and my, my great-grandfather was a preacher. Uh, so I grew up in a ministry setting, and I, I feel like one of the advantages to that, besides just getting me a strong foundation in faith, was getting to learn from the ministry experiences of different generations. And it's, it's one of those blessings that you, know, you, you just can't teach those kinds of lessons in a seminary setting. It really requires listening to the, the personal stories of ministry relationships over the course of decades. And so that's kind of the family I come from and they've been very supportive and encouraging, you know, my, my career in missions. So uh, tell, tell us a little bit. So you're talking about career in missions and background and all that, but um, I think it's important to just also describe a little bit about your job, where do you work, what your job looks like on a day-to-day basis? Sure. So it looks a little different now than it did in the early years. Uh, In the early years, I started out as part of a missionary team. Everyone on our team was a full-time vocational missionary, uh, and we would help plant them in a particular diaspora uh, neighborhood or part of the city. As as you know, diasporas look different depending on where you are in the city. But basically, assign a missionary people group, and that's kind of their focus. And in the early years, it's almost 100% evangelism because as a new missionary, you don't have really any relationships in the city. Uh, Over the years, my role has changed to where evangelism is maybe about a third to half the time because the other half of the time is working with leaders of churches we've started. Some of those churches stay in the city. Some of them have transplanted and moved out of New York. And so it's working with 
church leaders in spiritual formation or working with existing non-house churches trying to equip everyday Christians in a city like New York to do the missionary work that full-time missionaries do, but in the relationships they already have in their context. So just to clarify, you work in two areas. So correct me if I'm wrong. The first is supporting existing churches with evangelism and discipleship training. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, the second is doing direct evangelism by reaching out to local immigrants and helping them to establish study groups, uh, which eventually lead to house churches. Is that correct? That's correct. And, you know, in most years, ideally, it's about a 50-50 time split. Uh, but because of COVID and the way it's impacted New York, I would say in the last two years, uh, it's been more focused on equipping as other cities respond differently to the pandemic. Uh, in New York, the last couple of years, it's been very dangerous to try to start house churches mm -hmm. because it's just dangerous to get the strangers in a room together. So, uh, yeah, usually it's split pretty evenly, but we've done a lot of equipping the last few years. So what are the greatest challenges facing the churches that you help to equip? especially in the New York City context? Sure. Uh, I think a few of them, uh, I would say the, the greatest challenges, number one would be that most adult Christians that I meet, if you, if you ask them why they haven't done evangelism in their relationships, mm -hmm. the answer is, I don't know enough. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, we, we work across a lot of different denominations, mm -hmm. and this is for pretty much all of them, that within the, the faith formation of most American churches, there is a belief that in order to do evangelism, I have to be a Bible expert at the beginning. And that if I'm going to try to have any spiritual conversations, I need to be able to answer every potential question that might come up. And for that reason, I think a lot of people who are mature Christians, who have been devout, you know, maybe their entire lives or their entire adult lives still feel incapable of making a disciple because they have a sense that the bar is set really, really high in terms of education in order to share your faith. And I, I think that that is a notion of ministry qualification that we don't see in Jesus's own work with his disciples. Yeah. So, so that's the greatest challenges facing the churches that you have to equip. But what are the greatest challenges facing diaspora churches? Well, I, I think it's somewhat related, but a big one would be uh, when we're working in a diaspora setting, there's a lot of assumptions of, about relationships, particularly about time versus kind of event orientation that can be difficult for people that don't have any background in cross-cultural work. Um, and so a lot of the new missionaries that come they don't quite understand logistically how different ministry is going to be from a setting where maybe they came out of and, and their spiritual formation was. So by way of example, you know, most of our church settings in a traditional context, you know what time church starts and you also have a pretty good expectation of what time church is going to end. Right. <laughs> That's right. In a, in a diaspora setting, it's going to look a lot more like a dinner party would in an immigrant neighborhood. So if, if we say church starts at six, that means that, you know, people are still going to be showing up maybe 730, eight o'clock. And there's an orientation toward relationship that's very different than what I grew up in, mm -hmm. which is that in a diaspora community, by and large, obviously, this is overly generalized. There's an expectation that you interact with your meaningful relationships 
a lot more frequently than was true for friendships in the setting that I grew up in. Um, and so it's, it's not uncommon for the people you know to call you every single day or to expect to see you almost every day of the week. Right. And that's a very high relational expectation that I think as workers in a diaspora setting, we want to honor and respect. And I think a lot of people, uh, or at least American Christians coming into that setting, really underestimate how much it's going to require of them as right. a friend, as a neighbor. And this is not, you know, you, this is not a, a ministry context that you can talk to people once a month and expect to have a meaningful and deep friendship. Right. But I think along with that, uh, most of our diaspora neighbors don't control their own schedule. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we need to be available when they're available. And often what that means is that there's a lot of late nights. Church doesn't necessarily meet on a Sunday morning. because Not, ev- not everyone is able to get off work. It meets when they're able to meet. Right. And those kinds of logistical shifts in how we do ministry are typical for missionaries, but can be pretty foreign for people sitting in the pews. Yeah. That's a high energy, high time commitment, high capacity ministry. I mean, when if you are serving as a pastor yeah. or elder or or missionary, if you are a married person, uh, then that means your family got to be on board because it's literally missional life you live in day in, day yeah. out. And it's not restricted to nine to five. Uh, office hours because uh, that's how we are trained, right? Um, no, no, and it, it also means that the the metrics that most churches have around the programs need to need to also become more incarnational if they're going to work in this setting, because the metrics around attendance and, and frequency of attendance yeah. don't necessarily apply to our diaspora neighbors as, as a good indication of who's actually bought in. Yeah. And I've seen diaspora pastors serving versus uh, born and raised uh, pastors serving. That's a huge difference because you are taught that you got to protect your time because uh, otherwise the ministry is going to eat you up. But the diaspora ministry is different. It's more like a social, not a social life. It's just family life that you just, just the way you respond to your a son or daughter or brother, sister, cousin, same way you're responding in diaspora setting, uh, those families are your families. And that's so wonderful. Okay, so we have actually talked before on the podcast about how immigrants in the U.S. are actually very influential in their um, home country, whether uh, we're talking about, um, especially, you know, South Asian, South Asian uh, cultures. Um, despite the challenges facing diaspora churches, why do you, uh, why do they have a such a global advantage for evangelism? What, 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 what do you think? Yeah, well, I think there's. Uh, I would highlight maybe three different reasons. So I'm sure there's more than that. I think one is for a lot of diaspora people groups, and this is particularly true of Muslim people groups. So it, it's true to other kind of other cultures as well. Uh, there is greater access in diaspora than is true for sending missionaries to those countries. Um, a, a missionary in a diaspora setting has, especially if it's an American setting, has a, a freedom both, I think, legally and also socially to do some things that may be inappropriate if they were in country. Uh, 
And so that would be the first one is just that, you know, I remember we were working in the Bengali community primarily for my first two years in New York. And we had a, a Bible study that was meeting on Skype, like two thirds of the Bible study were back in Dhaka. Within our first six months in New York, that just wouldn't have been possible had we moved to Bangladesh. You know, it would have taken us years to learn language and even to, to understand the culture well enough to form friendships. Whereas in New York, that's a more a neutral third cultural setting. And so we were just able to develop relationships much more quickly and have access that we wouldn't have had as international missionaries. I think one of the other reasons is that diaspora peoples already have to live cross-culturally. And so the majority of, of citizens in our diaspora have a cross-cultural competency that they've had to learn because of their life circumstances. And it's much harder often for Americans to learn cross-cultural settings because it requires a real humility and a willingness to fail a lot. And for a lot of people, that's intimidating, but our, our diaspora neighbors frankly, don't really have a choice because they're having to cross culturally. And that means they bring a set of skills to ministry relationships that we, we can't really assume necessarily for right. uh, Americans. Yeah. The yeah. third thing is diaspora peoples uh, often, not always, but often support large family networks overseas. And that causes members of the family that maybe in a domestic setting wouldn't necessarily have a lot of authority Mm -hmm. to all of a sudden become real influencers in their family networks. So again, to use the Bengali community as an example, you know, a lot of my Bengali friends, they work in, in food service or in what would be considered low-paying jobs in a New York setting, but they support large family networks overseas. And so even though they're in their 20s or 30s, it wouldn't be the head of the household if we were in Bangladesh because of the support they provide a family network. When they say something, it carries a lot of influence. And so as they're talking about learning about Jesus in that setting, it gets a hearing that it might not in the home setting. Yeah. So going off that, uh, how can missionary uh, sending agencies better equip diaspora missionaries? And of course, the context is the United States of America, right? Okay. I do think that uh, diaspora ministries in cities is more similar to, to one another, I think, than, than the home context versus diaspora ministry in an American setting, if that makes sense. So I, I think missionaries in New York have as much in common with missionaries in you know, London or Singapore as they do you know, somebody that's working in, in maybe a domestic setting in, in Dallas. <laughs> if we're going to prepare diaspora missionaries well, I think one of the things, and this seems very basic, but we need to teach them to be good learners. Um, anytime we're working cross-culturally, you really, I don't think, ever learn enough to be a cultural insider. It will never be the same as somebody that was born and raised in this setting. They will always understand it at a deeper and more intuitive level than somebody that had to learn it cross-culturally as an adult. And so we need to form missionaries who are good learners and who are emotionally resilient. Because, and this may sound cynical, uh, though I don't think it is, but most missionary work emotionally is experienced as failure. Um, you know, you're, you're always having a lot more evangelistic conversations than you are encountering receptive people. And, you know, you start churches, but as soon as you start churches, now you start dealing with church conflict <laughs> and maturity issues. And so for that reason, uh, I think having missionaries that can manage themselves emotionally in the field. Mm -hmm. that are okay with accepting their own mistakes 
in learning cross-culturally uh, and that can kind of constantly recommit to learning and, and understanding their context yeah. better. I think those are the skills more so than missionary competencies. I think those are the skills that will allow you to learn what you need to learn yeah. uh, before you get to the field. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree. And I also think, especially in the United States or uh, uh, London, uh, in the United States, New York City is a great example, Houston, uh, um, some other cities, main cities, they have that um, diaspora. And similarly, London uh, is another place. But by and large, uh, I think I, I don't think uh, other cultures can even do that at this point because they do not have... So the so United States is, yes, you have the diaspora, but also United States is made up of diaspora, right? Made up of different uh, uh, nationalities and cultures. Yeah. So it's a, it's a uh, melting pot of cultures. So that allows us to have this uh, type of ministry. So it's not, yeah. you're not working from only one ethnic group. So a Chinese sending Chinese missionaries to the world, beautiful, God bless them. And I think that's wonderful. And we have other, uh, you know, uh, missional agencies yeah. working on that. But we have unique opportunity where mm-hmm. uh, we we can relate to uh, diasporas because we are diaspora. I'm, I'm, I'm a senior pastor of this uh, predominantly, uh, you know, white church. And actually, whenever I'm out and I tell them, uh, I just, I was out uh, uh, last week and this, uh, uh, one of my church members introduced me to the people and that church member happened to be a young man from uh, who was a uh, whose background is also Pakistani. So when he said, "This is my my this this he's our uh, he's the senior pastor of First Baptist Church," so the guy that we were talking to, he said, "So your congregation is uh, Pakistani?" I said, "No, it's an American congregation, predominantly white uh, American, because I'm first immigrant." Uh, you know, uh, first generation immigrant. So it's automatically connected that it gotta be diaspora. So there is this whole shift that needs to take place in order to help people understand that we are the United States and we have this, all of this together. So as we wrap this up, how can U.S. Christians, so that's what I want to bring you, U.S. Christians Mm -hmm. and churches uh, tangibly support diaspora and urban churches and cities in general? Sure. Uh, Some of that depends on what we mean by support. If we mean uh, kind of a a third party support. So, you know, sending, funding, caring for missionaries. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I think the thing that that they can do uh, would be to develop diaspora relationships of their own. Uh, You know, all, all of our staff are supported missionaries and it really does change the nature of a support relationship when I'm talking to someone who only supports our ministry financially, Mm -hmm. or if I'm talking to somebody that's actually trying to seek out some of these same types of relationships and experiences, it just Mm -hmm. provides a level of understanding and compassion and empathy that I think is really important for missionaries because a lot of missionaries, especially in the early years, it can be a pretty lonely lifestyle. Uh, And so to see other people who are, are making similar efforts in their own city or who uh, are, are trying to learn from the missionaries they support and implement some of those same practices and skills in their own context comes across as, I think, incredibly supportive to missionaries. I would give the same advice, though, if support means get involved with. I think 
uh, it's really important as we go through the, a lot of the transitions we are around urbanization, around globalization, uh, the missionaries that our churches support are some of the people that are best postured to help teach our churches how to navigate the things that they, they currently are experiencing is pretty stressful. The secularization of our cities, the globalization mm -hmm. of our cities, mm -hmm. the, the movement of young people to urban areas for work that separate mm -hmm. family networks. Missionaries are already experiencing these things and I think can really help speak into local churches in a way that can help reorient them. Yeah. Yeah. Seth, if listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, what are the easiest ways? Uh, probably the easiest way to do that would be through our website, that would be exponentgroup.org. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, though I don't know if that's the best way to connect, but yeah, through our website, probably the best one. So what we're going to do is we're going to put all of this information in the episode's description so people can have easy access. Uh, but for the last thing, because we talk about serious stuff, and I think it's important, again, just the way we started with the uh, family story or f about family, I think it's appropriate to bring this to conclusion with a joke. So tell sure. me a joke. Okay. Uh, well, it's not a great joke, but my goddaughter likes it. Granted, she's six. <laughs> but the joke would be, uh, what is brown and sticky? And the answer is a stick. Say again. Okay. I, I missed something. Go again. <laughs> Try again. All right. So the, the joke would be, what is brown and sticky? What? And the answer is a stick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So the problem with me is, okay, this is diaspora issue. A lot of, and right. I have this trouble. I have, I, I, okay. I have asked my wife so many times to explain jokes to me because whenever I record <laughs> episodes, so the joke I don't get, then I have to repeat that to my wife and like, hey, sure, sure. explain to me how this joke works. And they're like, ah, yeah. for me, it's like, well, so for me, it's, it, they gotta, you know, in every culture, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm born, I was born and raised in Pakistan. So my humor sure, is funny sure. humor, right? So it's a no, sarcastic you're totally right. or totally, you know, it's gotta be super dumb type of uh, humor you don't have to think yeah. about that so but no it's yeah, interesting. I, that makes complete sense yeah so yeah. it's it's uh, again one of those things uh, we are made up of uh, so many cultures so it's uh, even yeah. a, just a little this teeny tiny detail is so important thinking about your network and what you guys you guys do man to train yeah people. just the idea yeah. that hey humor is even different in uh diaspora communities the way they well, um mm -hmm. yeah it's not that they don't laugh they do but, <laughs> but they laugh for weird things i just had a conversation with the other um guest and his joke was uh, between an arab and uh, einstein so it was totally a uh, critique on uh, uh, yeah. self culture but it was funny <laughs> so funny i just laughed i thought this is really good um, sure. Thank you so much for being yeah. on the show again. That was uh, Seth Bushell from the Exponent Group. And thank you to all our listeners. If you appreciate this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. If you liked this episode, tune in next week for a discussion about Muslim evangelism and why it requires advanced preparation. 
Check back every Tuesday for more honest discussions from diverse voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.